Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Under the Dome, where the Houdat Nation begins. I'm uh, your host, Alan Ulrich. I'm here with my uh, partner in crime, Mr. Sean Williams. How you doing tonight, Sean? Doing fantastic, Alan. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, Sean, why don't you give us a rundown of what we got going on tonight? Okay. Um, first of all, we want to bring everybody up to date on the latest things going on in White Sulphur Springs and as of today, New England as the Saints travel to Foxborough, Massachusetts to do joint practices for the remainder of the week up until the game Thursday night with the Patriots and also we're going to get into something that Allen's put together as far as the first uh, 53 man projected roster and but before we do that, I want to uh, do a few things real quick, a little housekeeping. First of all, we want to thank everybody that has been so great to support us, to watch us our, on our podcasts, to give us a like, to follow us on our pages, which on, on Facebook, it's Under the Dome Podcast. Uh, you can reach us by email at Under the Dome Podcast at gmail.com uh, also we want to thank from the bottom of our hearts we want to thank Fan First Productions for believing in us and getting behind us on this project also two guys that we Alan and I have talked about this we really really want to thank because we do what we do because we love to do it and we love our team we love representing our team and we we both have a lot of hot air that we're willing to expend toward our team, but unless we get what we do out there to you guys, it's not quite the same. So we want to thank both our uh, our unofficial director of media relations, I guess, John Pinto, and also Joel Smith for being so great about posting our links, publicizing our show, giving us shout outs, um, just getting our work out there. That means the world to us. And in terms of our show, it helps us exponentially get our work out there. And I want to thank those guys up front and, uh, and in this forum, if you will, thank them so much for what they're doing to help us out. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Joel runs a great web page, uh, a group in Facebook, uh, New Orleans Saints group. Uh, it's a fantastic group. I write some stuff on there. I did a, a history of the 10 best and worst games in Saints history. Uh, it's, it's a really good spot uh, for Saints fans to get together. Uh, kind of, We do a live uh, uh, game play-by-play -play game update. For those of you who live out of the city limits, who can't see the game, may live out of state, you may be cursed to have to live in Houston or Atlanta, and you can't get a good Saints game, uh, I do the play-by-play uh, -play and give you a little editorial comments as I go along. So please visit us at either Under the Dome or the New Orleans Saints group, either one of those. Okay, uh, now we got the housekeeping out the way. Uh, yeah, the Saints are... I've just did their first practice in New England 
uh, with the Patriots. They have a game against Foxborough and against the Patriots in Foxborough Thursday night. The first preseason of this, the 50th season for the Saints. And looks like last year when we went up there and played uh, some practices against the Patriots, Tom Brady lit up that secondary for about 12 touchdowns. Uh, this year, not much of anything. This year was a world of difference. Uh, the things I read were the Saints' uh, secondary kind of shut down uh, Tom Brady. Uh, I think he went 7-15, and Garoppolo went like 7-12. I was looking at the stats as we were talking just a minute ago. Um, yeah, it was 7-15 of 15, uh, for Brady, 7-12 of 12 for Garoppolo. And okay. one of twenty-five for Breeze. Right. So, which is outstanding here. numbers, but I want to be careful not to. No, too it, much it, into that. Exactly. It's We've been. To, it's something to to look at and say, hey, this is an improvement over a year ago, but you got to take it in context. Sure. How did Buddy D say that? Preseason is an illusion. You know, preseason is an illusion. Uh. But I tell you what, we've been here and we had Scott on last week. We hear all this in camp, camp all this year that this defense looks a lot different. It's a lot better. Of course, there's only one way to go is up if you're the 32nd ranked defense out of 32 teams. But we are seeing much more optimism, much more playmaking. These guys look like they know what they're doing and they're actually making plays. I can't tell you how many times last year I would sit and watch the game, and they would check out of a defense, and the defense, the offense would just run the play right what they checked out of. Or, you know, they they isolate Brandon Brown by himself. Nobody would come over to help, and lo and behold, Brown gets burnt. He commits a penalty, whatever. It was horrible. It was a setup for failure constantly. And it looks like the miscommunications, the lack of communication, the poor alignment, all that stuff is a thing of, thing of the past. And we are seeing a much more cohesive, attacking, uh, get to the ball quickly, no thinking, just go out there and play football the way you've been learning how to play for the past 10, 12 years. Go out there and attack the football like you're supposed to, like the other 31 teams do. You know, and that's a that's okay. a big change from last year. Okay, Alan, let me ask you this. There's so much attention that is having been paid as of late as to and to a certain extent I believe that it's wasted time. What do you mean? Like Okay, we're frozen for a second here. Um Sean, are you back? Is your focus? Okay. And what, and what have you? How much of that is a vindication of making the change to Dennis Allen or a condemnation of the way that uh, Rob Ryan was running things? Or, or how much of it is just different personnel, different year? Are people reading too much into this? And crucifying Ryan for the wrong reasons. Oh, no, no, no. I think Ryan deserved every bit of crucifixion he got, if that's a word. I think Ryan was the biggest problem. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, 
I wasn't a fan of the Rob Ryan hire in 2013. I, <clears throat> I thought I was wrong based on the way they performed in 2013. I said, well, maybe it was. He just was on bad teams. But what we saw in 2013 was like preseason, an illusion. You know, you really saw the real Rob Ryan in 2014-2015. The Junior Collette oh, I... garbage and all that stuff aside, what I'm saying is, yes, we've got a couple of players in here now with Sheldon Rankins and James Laurinaitis, and we've got, you know, Craig Robinson. You've got players who are better capable, cap have a better capability of, of running a defense as opposed to the guys you had in there last year. But the things that went wrong last year, anybody can make a defense look bad if you're always out of position, if you're making the same mental mistakes over and over and over again. You saw no progression from week one to week 10 to even week 17. As far as getting on the field with the right personnel, not wasting timeouts because of lack of communication or the wrong people out there. You didn't see that learning curve where they weren't making the same mistakes. There was no teaching involved. I can't tell you how many times Sean Payton used to say in his Absolutely. press conference, you know, we have to clean things up. We have to clean this up. You know, we have to do a better job as coach coaches. And that was a call out to Rob Ryan. You know, we have to do a better job as coaches to communicate to, to the players what we expect them to do. Sean and, Payton and look, said that after every press conference. And look at it in simplistic terms from from a player standpoint. You know, I'm a guy that's on the sidelines, and I'm tasked with making this team a better team. And I'm out there playing my heart out, and I'm being put in the wrong place at the wrong time to do the wrong thing. And I turn around and look at the sidelines for some sort of leadership, and all I see is my head coach and my defensive coordinator almost come to blows. It was a circus-like atmosphere that was absolutely accomplishing nothing. And Rob Ryan, in now this is strictly my opinion, Rob Ryan did it at Cleveland. He did it at Dallas. Then he did it in New Orleans. He took a, a, a reasonably good defense and destroyed it. Is that well, a fair assessment? Look, we did our own fair share of destruction of that defense. You know, when you start losing guys like Malcolm Jenkins, Roman Harper, Jabari yeah. Greer, you know, you and even Scott Shanley, and you're replacing them with either – Young guys in the terms of, you know, Stephon Anthony, uh, Kihaka, players like that, or guys who are not leaders like Junior Gallette. Yeah. You know, you now have people say, I think that Roman Harper and Jenkins and people like that understood what Ryan was trying to get across and would direct traffic for him. You know, uh, uh, Curtis Lofton could direct traffic. Okay, he understood what they were trying to do. When you put a rookie in there like Stephon Anthony, and you say, "Okay, I want you to run this defense," you know, he's busy thinking about the defense he's going to call, the verbiage behind that. He's reading what the offense is doing. He's trying to direct traffic, and he's got to be sure of what he's supposed to do. 
you didn't have that. That's the stuff he needed, and he was not getting last year. Was somebody telling him this is this is how it goes, and work with him and develop this? You weren't getting that out of Rob Ryan. Rob Ryan is a conceptual guy. He just talks about I want the guys get after the quarterback, and we're going to run you know zone dog blitz. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. These guys head to swimming. They don't know what the call is. They look around. He said, "Zone dog, I've got three. I got three safeties in here. We can't run that. We have to have two. We have to have three linebackers. We have to have four linebackers. We've got three. We got three down linemen. We need four linebackers. We're short a linebacker. We got timeout. We got ten guys in the field. That kind of stuff. And that's what yeah. you saw last year. With Dennis Allen, he's much more of a teacher. I always felt like Rob Ryan, and I gotta say this carefully because it, it sounds really insensitive, uh, given the fact that, and his dad is a legend. The Forty-six defense stands. But his on dad the was his dad was the same way, you know. I I always felt like Rob Ryan wanted to be the same type of coach that his dad was, but he wasn't. Look, you watch NFL films breakdown of the 1993 Houston Oilers, and you saw uh, Rob, uh, Rob Ryan as his father, okay? And what I mean by that is, you know, the whole thing with the chuck and duck and fighting with the offense and the breakdown in communication and the, and the conflict between – uh, Ryan and I can't Kevin Gilbride. Kevin you know, Gilbride. You know, it's it was the same kind of thing. The only difference is Rob realized that Buddy went over the line, and he didn't want to get into that. Yeah. But it was still yeah. that kind of adversarial kind of relationship because he wanted to do what he wanted to do, and you could hear it. Sure. Once sure. he got fired, you know. What did he? What's the first thing he said? Well, I know I'm a better damn coach than what I saw out there on that field. You know, uh, the Saints got rid of these guys. They wanted me to run a Seattle defense, and they uh, had you know uh, Bird back there, way back in the, you know as the high safety in the middle of nowhere where he can't make a play. You know, he's blaming everybody, throwing everybody into the bus. You heard all that, and that's exactly how Buddy was. Okay, and yeah, you know. Rex even has remember. a little bit of that. Yeah, Rex has a little bit of that personality. You know, it's the same thing. It's the Ryan personality. And when things are good, you can deal with that. When things are successful, you know, he's he's a genius. You know, but when, when things go wrong... Winning covers a lot of uh, uh, misunderstandings. Right. Well, you know, Sean Payton didn't get along that well with Greg Williams. But the difference between... Ryan and Williams was, Williams knew what the hell he was doing. And Williams, even though he was a Ryan disciple, Williams had control of his defense, and he had Jonathan Vilma to execute this defense. And Williams has had success everywhere he's gone as defensive coordinator. You because said he a can, mouthful. Yeah, you he can teach. Right there. Williams he can teach. Succeeded. Yeah, because he I, knew. I don't like the guy. I blame I blame Greg Williams for that entire Bounty Gate debacle. Right, wrong, or in the middle. 
I uh, I tell you this much. I have a problem, and I don't really want to spend a lot of time on Bounty Gate because we've kind of yeah. we've now four years removed from that. Bounty Gate is no different than the Smash for Cash program they ran in San Francisco and in Green Bay and in Denver and everywhere. Every coordinator has run a version of that. It's you're feeding off these guys' egos. You know, if you make a play. I'll, you know, I bet you you can't get four interceptions. Do you remember, and we're going way back now, do you remember in 1997 or 98, I think it was, Mike Ditka and Zayvon Aurelian go and swap money on the field do you, against the Oakland Raiders. Do you remember that? Absolutely. Because, body, I mean, because uh, Mike Ditka bet Zayvon Aurelian, defensive coordinator for the Saints, that he couldn't stop the Raiders' crossing patterns that Tim Brown was going to eat him up. Well, the Saints shut down the Raiders' crossing patterns. So there he goes reaching in his pocket and hands and hands over some money right to Zayvon Raleigh on the field. And the media was freaking out about this. But that is the that was the idea behind so-called Bounty Gate, okay? It was the same kind of thing. Here's a little extra money if you can make Bounty X amount of interceptions. Bounty it was not about the media. Right. Well, it, the league's got former players from the 60s and the 70s suing because of concussions. And we're finding out that the league was suppressing or trying to get Congress to suppress some information about concussions. The league's got to deal with this lawsuit because these players need the health care benefits they weren't getting from this multi-billion dollar league. Uh, I think I read today that um, Goodell has now hit his 10-year anniversary as commissioner. When he took over in 2006, the league was making about $6 billion a year. It's now $13 billion in 10 years. Sure. And the goal in 2025 yeah. is to make $27 billion. You know, the league's not interested in giving up a lot of money, especially to former players. So that was the real reason behind Bounty Gate. You've got lawsuits. You've got Absolutely. to get these people. Yeah, you've got to I, make it appear just, that we're interested in safety. And the Saints were the victim. They were the sacrificial lamb. They, they were I mean, they the they the they did the you know. In all fairness, they did do stuff they shouldn't have done. They told them not to get rid of this program in 2010. They tried to bury and hide the information. They tried to burn emails, delete emails. You know, went full Hillary Clinton role on that one. And they got caught. Okay, so oh yeah, Ooh. so we, we've you know, gotten all the way to the presidential. <laughs> yeah, well, we can go into that all day long. I, I fight with that foolishness yeah. enough, but um, yes, yeah. I mean, this is what they did when enough. You have a political analyst as a host. Hey, <laughs> that's a, man. I done granulated from that UL okay. Lafayette, and uh, I got my degree in political science, and you know, yeah, I could talk politics. Okay. All right. Well, I wouldn't want anyone else in the world to be my co-host <laughs> than you, my brother. There you go. There but you anyway, go. Okay. switching gears a little bit. This week, okay. the Saints, uh, the Saints did cut their ties with uh, a big name that they brought in yeah. as of late. Uh, wide receiver. Wait a minute, Hakeem Nix. Yes. I, the funny thing I, was that. The funny thing was that the uh, yeah that even the media 
was flipping Hakeem Nicks with Hakeem Hicks. So yeah, that was that was yeah. very interesting. I always have to be careful. But also in the same light, I think it was maybe a day later on um, what was it Thursday or Friday, the Saints managed to sign a multi-time Pro Bowl fullback from the Green Bay Packers, John Kuhn, to the roster. Yes, and he comes from a very similar offense. You know, Mike McCarthy was the Saints offensive coordinator under Jim Haslett from 2000 to 2004. So, you know, running that West Coast-style offense, uh, he should fit right in with the Saints. The only question we have is, at 33 years old, how much does he have left in the tank? You know, uh, there's a reason why the Panthers, I mean the Panthers, the Packers, let him go. Uh, I'm hoping that he still has a good year or so left in him because he helps out the offense tremendously. They haven't had a, a fullback like him on this team since uh, uh, Heath Evans in the 2009-2010 season. Uh, you That's need what I was to have... about to say. People, I've seen quite a few, many, many, as a matter of fact, on social media, comparisons to the Saints signing Coon as being reminiscent of when they signed Heath Evans. Well, you know, the, the Saints like to run their favorite formation is 11, okay, posse, they call it. Uh, that's, you know, three wides, a tight end, and a single back. With Kuhn on the team, you could line Kuhn up as a, in the posse formation as the tight end on the edge of the line, even put Fleener out, out wide playing the X, and then you can audible, and Kuhn slides right back into his traditional fullback spot, and suddenly you're now in a power formation. And it gives them that kind of versatility, because Kuhn can also, as lining up as a tight end, he can act as a receiver and catch the pass, because he's been catching sure. from Aaron Rodgers. Plus, he's a short yardage guy. You know how Peyton likes on fourth and inches, or fourth and one to slip it right to the fullback to punch it in. That kind of stuff. So it's it's a really good move. I really like the move. I'm hoping he sticks in the team. Uh, Hakeem Nicks, you know, like Indiana Jones, it's not the years, it's the mileage. Uh, even though he's 28 years old, a former first-round pick, you know, you saw in the very first practice when uh, Burrow basically owned him, uh, he just could not get separation anymore. He had lost a step. He wasn't catching the ball very well anymore. Uh, I think they wanted him to push Brandon Coleman to that fourth spot, but you know it, it was it was just a waste of time. You've got too many talented receivers behind him to waste your time with Knicks anymore. That begs uh, to mind another <clears throat> another question that I, I have for you. Does, mm -hmm. You you brought up uh, how Bro owned him. Is mm -hmm. this going to be an in is this going to be possibly an indication that Bro possibly could be taking that next step to the, uh, for lack of a better way, and I, I hate using this analogy, but it's the first one that comes to mind, the Revis Island. Is Bro taking shut, a step to be in a that shutdown shut corner? corner? You know, Bro is a great man-to-man -man guy. Uh, he has to learn how to play zones a lot better. Uh, he got suckered or burned a lot. Again, this goes back to teaching. This, this is why we have Aaron Glenn now as a secondary coach. 
by those rub routes, uh, especially near the goal line. Uh, last year, I think he gave up six touchdowns just on that kind of play alone. Um, I think this is the year he takes that step forward. I think he will be the number one corner and probably the most dominant corner the Saints fans have ever seen, at least going back, oh, God, uh, probably Waymer. Uh, Dave Waymer. Waymer was a guy who benefited a lot from the people around him. He was not a very good cover corner. He was a good zone corner, and he was an even better safety. But Waymer benefited from having, you know, Tony Elliott, uh, Jim Wilkes, uh, Frank Warren, uh, Bruce Clark, sure. he, and the linebackers, even before the Dome Patrol, Whitney Paul and Jim Corvach, you know, and those players. He benefited from a strong front seven that made quarterbacks kind of throw balls up to grab, up for grabs. Uh, he was not a great cover corner. You know, you the Saints, I'm going to do a 40, uh, 50th anniversary team. The I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to do the, the top, I guess, starting team or include depth players like, you know, if you do quarterbacks, mine sure. would be Breeze, yeah. Manning, and Abair. Uh, you know, obviously Breeze is the number one guy. So if you go to the cornerback position and you go through Saints history, the very fact that Dave Witzel in 1967 on that inaugural team still holds the record for most interceptions in a single season with 10 and was wow. the first Pro Bowl player, you know, that record still standing lets you know what kind of wasteland secondary has been for the Saints in you know, 50 years. So to answer your question after that long-winded explanation, yes, I think he takes that step forward. Is he Daryl Revis? Is he Deion Sanders? You know, hold off on that anointing oil. He's not there yet. He just will be a very, very good corner, one of the best that we've seen in recent memory. I'm going to make a lot of people mad, but I think Deion Sanders is probably one of the most overrated corners in the history of the league. No, you're not going to make me mad. You're not going to make me mad at all. I think Mel Blunt was a hell of a lot better than Deion Sanders, but that's Absolutely. that's me. That's me. I grew anyway. up. I saw Mel Blunt. Um, as, as, well, that's, I grew up in the Pittsburgh Steeler household. Oh, there you go. Uh, I tell you what. Tell, the the most telling thing to bro, or, or as far as bro goes for me, I saw this. Uh, and I only saw it one time, and I have not been able to find it since. It was a little gift that was on Twitter. It had a picture of that play, the first home game in the Dome last year against Tampa Bay, where Bro so famously lost the ball in the lights, and he's sitting yeah. there looking for it. And it, it had yeah. that play, and then it had the headline that Bro was the in the top three on PFF's uh, cornerbacks list, it said, uh, "Welcome to the league, Delvin Bro." Yeah, pro football focus. Don't get me started. He uh, came such a long way, and, and I, I now don't get me wrong. I still believe that there's quite a ways to go, especially uh, in what is beginning to to appear like. It's going to be a season more than likely without 
Keenan Lewis? Well, uh, Keenan Lewis has managed to find uh, uh, Bird's vanishing cream from last year's training camp. Uh, I, you know, he comes off the pup list and he's disappeared. Uh, and I don't know if that that's probably not a good thing because he at least no. was out there. I would not be surprised to find out he had another surgery. I'm not saying he did, yeah. but I would not be shocked because remember well, last year well, when C.J. Spiller was well, saying, remember last practice, year, didn't he? right? He did, and then he pulled his vanishing act. Okay, and so he may have re-injured something, even with that light workout. Because remember last year, C.J. Spiller, he was there, then he was gone, and next thing you know, we start seeing pictures pop up on the internet where he was. Uh, he saw Dr. Andrews, he had a cast on his leg, and he had a pair of crutches, and it was propped up. Uh, not a cast, but, you know, he had surgery on his knee. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I would not be surprised if we find this out. I'm not predicting that's what happened, but that would make sense. Uh, well, and that would be a... When he's disappeared for these last several days that, this way, after coming out and, and dressing... For a practice, and then, like you said, pulling disappearing out. I fully anticipate in the next few days, probably after the first preseason game, for to find out that he's been put on the uh, the IR with designation to possibly return. Unless, like you say, we find out that he has had a surgery. Yeah, and they may just let him. But may at any rate, I, I feel like. It's more than likely going to be well, next man up at that position. That's exactly it. And let's uh, let's kind of jump into a little bit of the uh, 53-man roster prediction because I've got I've got Bro Lewis, DJ Williams, who I think would be the next man up, Damian Swan and Devontae Harris all making the team because I count ten defensive backs, five corners, and five safeties. Here's the thing: if Lewis has gone ahead and get get. It. Let's just say he's had surgery, okay, and he's going to have to okay. put on IR designation return. That would be great news for Crawley because right now, I think Bro Williams and Swan have those top spots locked up. Lewis, you know, that's the limbo player. I gave the edge to Harris, but Crawley is right next to him. I think these preseason sure. games are going to determine. Who gets it out of the two? Harris has made more plays in practices. When the lights come on and you're playing against other receivers, let's see who stands out among the two. Because I think that everyone else is, you know, Dixon's gone. Uh, I think everyone else is way, way back there. I think those two players are the ones that are battling for that last spot. And we really can't afford six uh, uh, cornerbacks because we're going to have to have five safeties because you have to make room for Harper. Uh, your five yeah. safeties are going to be Bird, uh, Picaro, Harris, Bell, who's having a very good camp, and Harper. So there's your ten defensive backs. Um, I don't care if, if people think Harper has lost a step or whatever. Harper serves a very important function in that locker room as a leader. You're seeing that. I think part of the reason why Dennis Allen's, Dennis Allen's schemes are getting implemented so quickly is because you've got a guy like Harper out there directing traffic. You know, Absolutely. he's getting that secondary in place and he's talking to these other guys and telling them what they should be looking for to how to make a better play or bigger play. And I think that's rubbing off and that's why we're seeing so many turnovers. Um, 
So yeah, so 10 defensive backs, five corners, five safeties. Uh, what, where Lewis fits in, I don't know. I don't think he'll be put on season-long IR. I don't think he'll get cut. But I think if something bad has happened and he's re-injured himself, because hip injuries, you know, they're hard to come back from. I don't even see him on Twitter, uh, not Twitter, on uh, Instagram anymore. Uh, I used to see him on there all the time. And uh, I don't know, but I don't know if Lewis will ever come back to the way he used to be. But you can't count him out yet. I think it's really odd because, you know, at first it was like, supposed to be something like a sports hernia well then it it, as it went along he had surgery and then it was something a little bit worse and then it's a it it was a terror yeah it was a terror last year because he was compensating for that for that knee injury so it was a terror and i still have somewhere on on my cell phone the photo of that knee after that oh the 49ers get 49ers game yeah that was that was awful Yes, and that was two weeks after he uh, he totally shut down Carolina almost single-handedly. He took out Kevin Benjamin. Uh, okay. Kevin Benjamin did not do anything that whole game. Let me ask uh, you this. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, you got ten defensive backs. Give me give me two of the players that didn't make your cut that are worth watching or on the bubble, so to speak. One uh, safety if, in one corner. Okay. Uh, your cornerback, I uh, mentioned Crawley already. I don't have him making the team, but Crawley definitely. Uh, as far as safety, that's hard uh, because I think the safeties are so far ahead of anybody else. I mean, Darby's gone. Uh, you know, uh, Really, I mean, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this roster here of my safeties. That's really it. It's that. Just look at Crawley. That's your big one. How does Crawley make it make out? Because I don't see any of those other guys even coming close. The Dixon twins are gone. Um, you know, I don't see uh, Elston if he's still on the roster. I don't see him doing it. Pruitt, you know, it just no. I mean, it's just that far ahead. Uh, yeah. Even even Sanford and Wilson were still healthy when we're practicing. I don't see them challenging anybody because that's how good the secondary has gotten. And I, and I credit a lot of that not only to Harper but also to uh, to Aaron sure. Glenn, who's doing a fantastic job with them. Well, linebacker. I, I agree oh, completely with what you said about Norman <laughs> Harper. His his responsibility on this defense on the field is only half of it. That's not. He wasn't brought here to be a top of the line safety. He no, his, was brought his, here to be a. Uh, uh, I think uh, I think it'd be interesting to watch Harris and see how he does because uh, he can play. They're going to try and play him in both positions, free and strong, uh, as well as Bur- uh, as well as Bell. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when Harris and Bell are out there together. Uh, I, it's just something to watch, you know. Linebackers. You're talking oh. Eric Harris, right? Right, 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 right. Okay. Yeah, not the corner, not the corner, Devonte Harris. Yeah, not Devonte Harris, but Eric Harris, the safety. Yeah, because they have him playing okay. both safety positions. So, uh, if okay. he can play free as well as strong, 
that's going to be a really big plus because it just gives them so much more flexibility and where you know yeah. who can roam and so forth. Uh, as far as linebackers, again, it's pretty much set in stone who these six are. Uh, it's Ellaby, Laurinaitis, Anthony, uh, Robinson, Stupard, uh, Michael Marty. Uh, I really don't see anybody else threatening that those six. Uh, Stupar and Marty are probably your two top special teams guys. Uh, interesting to see Robinson is playing the backup Mike linebacker, not Anthony. Anthony's played the Mike on the third team, not the second team. Uh, Laurinaitis, we have to see how much he has left in the tank because until recently, you really haven't heard much of him in camp other than yeah. him as the, you know, kind of, making the calls on defense. Uh, I thought Robinson could possibly play strong side because he's such a good cover linebacker, you know, and slide Anthony back to the middle. But, you know, so far we're hearing, no, it's going to be Robinson in the middle. So if Laurinaitis is your two two down linebacker, first and second down, the running downs, and Robinson comes in on third down of the nickel, uh, that'll be something to see what happens with that because – I think you might see, especially in the big nickel, if they have three safeties, you'll see Harper come in as the third linebacker and Ellaby and Robinson are out there, not Anthony. That's something to watch wow. out for. That's something to watch out for because I think Ellaby is probably your playmaking linebacker on the weak side, uh, and Robinson is a cover linebacker, so he's a good third down linebacker, and I think they see him more as the uh, as the – kind of the better middle linebacker than Anthony at this point. I think they want to make Anthony strictly strong side linebacker. So, again, something to watch and see what happens. Okay, um, is Anthony going to be able to take that sort of – let me see, for lack of a better word, is Anthony going to be able to deal with that shift in his responsibilities going from being – the signal caller, you know, role player. I think he likes the fact he's not the signal caller right now. I think he likes getting his. This will kind of be like his reset for his rookie year. They've got him playing all three linebacker positions, whether the first, second, or third team. They've got him working all three. It, it makes sense because LRB has yet to ever stay healthy, and uh, <clears throat> Laurenitis, we don't know how much we're going to get out of him. So Anthony is probably your youngest and most versatile linebacker. So when I say that about Robinson and Ellerby, I'm just guessing. That doesn't necessarily mean that's what's yeah. going to happen, but I think you will sure. see things like that. Uh, so, you know, we're, don't freak out over who's the starter right now at this point in the season because, again, sure. You know, we're going to talk about defensive line in a second. Again, we're looking at a bunch of personnel shifting and changing constantly. Uh, you're not going to see uh, the same 11 guys out there for three downs, or we might swap out a safety for yeah. an extra nickel or something like that. You, you're going to see a lot of changes, and that yeah. includes defensive line, linebacker, and secondary. So. And I think it bears worth it's worth mentioning that there's it may only be a calendar wise four there's still a long time oh, yeah, before yeah. week one Absolutely. Of the season rolls around. And Absolutely. there's a there's a, a million 
bad things that can happen against maybe 10 good things that can happen as well, far as this team goes. Right. You know, you're, you're worried about injuries, but here's a good example, okay? I, you know, I said, I thought based on the first week of camp, if the Saints had to play a game on Sunday, a regular season game on Sunday, uh, you know, your defensive line would be Cam Jordan, Sheldon Rankins, Tyler Davidson, who's having an outstanding camp, and Owen Watcham. Well, what happened? The first practice, they have Watcham out, and Etabali is in as your defensive end. Okay? Yeah. Uh, and they've got on the unofficial depth chart, you've got Etabali listed as defensive end. I find him more of a pass rusher than a run stuffer. But apparently he's playing well enough against the run, they feel like he could be the starter. I think that'll change depending on the team they're playing. If you're dealing with, say, the Seattle Seahawks, where it's a power running game, you probably have Guachem in there. But if you're dealing with the Green Bay Packers, more passing game, you'll probably see Adabali in there. So, you know, that's all going to change. I, I really like what Tyler Davidson is showing out there, though. And we saw it again today. I mean, Rankins, first off, Rankins is playing like a true first-round draft pick. He's playing like a stud. Uh, he's even, you know, he's ahead of Fairley, obviously. Uh, you know, he is showing he's going to be an impact player. Uh, you saw, you know what you're going to get out of Fairley. You probably best at rotating him in and out uh, with with uh, Rankins, depending on the down and distance and the yeah. situation. Uh, John Jenkins, I have him on the team. Uh, I think this is his make or break year. He's a contract year. He's starting on a rookie contract. Uh, you're not going to get much better than him right now. Um, you kind of have to keep him. If you can keep him and let him play, look, you're going to play your butt off for 10 and 15 snaps as opposed to 40 snaps, which would happen in the game. That's probably the best thing for him. Uh, sure. The longer he's out there, the lazier he gets and the more his weight bothers him. Uh, Davis yeah. Tall... <clears throat> Davis Tull is still in the mix. We don't know what we're going to get out of him. Uh, and Bobby Richardson even had a couple of sacks today. I think he had one sack. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, they're all so unofficial. Yeah. Bobby Richardson is still in the play. I think he's going to play the backup to uh, Cam Jordan. And uh, then you don't. You got David Onimata. You've got to st keep him on the roster, but you're going to probably deactivate him almost the entire season while he learns learns the position. And I think that's basically, you know, your eight, oh, I'm sorry, the ten defensive linemen you've got rotated in there. Sure. Because Adabali and Tull, sometimes you see them listed as linebackers. Other times you have them listed as defensive ends. I'm just using them as defensive ends. I think that's really where they where their strength is. Uh, so that's really your ten guys. You're going to see you can basically rotate your entire defensive line in and out, which is great because – the longer a game goes on, the longer the season goes on, you keep those guys fresh, you keep your pass rushers fresh. I think that's probably the best thing that could happen. Um, you sure. Know. Defense looks really good. I think the defense will be a lot better, obviously, than last year. And I think it'll probably be one of the best defenses Sean Payton has had, not counting the, the Super Bowl year, but one of the best defenses he's had on the field, at least in the past five years. Sure. How do you feel? Okay. How do you feel about that? 
I, I think that this defense, honest to God, uh, the bar obviously is going to be set very, very low. Mm -hmm. uh, as a matter of fact, I think that the power rankings that came out today, the Saints were ranked 28 out of 32 teams. Obviously, there's not going to be a great deal expected, and they're already saying that. Um, I think that this group is going to surprise a lot of people. I really do. Uh, not everyone is going to uh, take into consideration the way that we, you and I do the uh, the intensity and the laser focus, etc., that is being shown in camp right now. So I think that should make a, a great deal of difference before all is said and done. Yeah. So yeah, I, I expect of uh, I expect great things out of this defense. I think. I think so. They're talented enough and they're highly motivated. I really do. I hate talking about kickers. But the only other battle we haven't talked about so far in any of our uh, podcasts is the specialist, the uh, place kicking position. And uh, I, right now, it looks like Kai Forbath has it. Uh, if I had to make a guess, I'd say Kai Forbath is your kicker against the Raiders opening day. Um, you know, Absolutely. last year, you know, the preseason games are going to be the ones that make the decision on this uh, because last year, Hawker didn't do as well in practice, but did better in the preseason games. Debatable, but that's what Sean Payton says, uh, as opposed to Hopkins, who ended up being the better kicker. Uh, I think he kind of learned from that. He's going to weigh practices just as much as the preseason games. He makes his decision. And so far, yeah. four path has been perfect. You know, Hawker, I mean, Hawker, uh, uh, Connor Barth has had trouble, you know, he's missed a few kicks this year in in practice. We'll see how he does in the regular season game. Plus, they're going to let these guys kick off. Who has the deeper kickoff? Yeah. Um, you know, that that's really the, the, where the kicking battle comes. And, again, except for 2000, 2011 and I think 2010, and maybe 2006, the guy who started as the Saints kicker on opening day did not finish, you know, week 17 of that same season. You had a different kicker. That's, that's uh, right. I, yeah. So if I was a kicker for the Saints, I'd rent. I wouldn't buy because uh, <laughs> you, uh, you're only as good I as your agree. last kick. <clears throat> Right. I mean, Morstead has his. I'm afraid Go ahead. that's the way that it always it always will be with Sean Payton. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Morstead has his game lock has his position locked up. They brought in a deep snapper, but you know, Justin Drescher is going to be a deep snapper, barring sure. a complete disaster again. But so the only challenge really is Forbath, and I think Forbath has his position pretty much locked up. It's his to lose. Um, but again, you know, it's a kicker, and Sean Payton won't have much patience for him. If he thinks he can get better, he'll have tr kicker yeah. tryout on Monday and Tuesday. You know, after after a bad game, uh, and that's that's really that's really it. We uh, since we went back in time and went back to, over the history of the Saints, it's kind of tough 
because uh, we won't have enough time to go through all the positions on offense. We'll have to save that for next time. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk sure. about is the uh, upcoming preseason game against New England. Uh, we'll find out probably tomorrow afternoon what the uh, rotation is going to be for the starters. Yeah. If I was Sean Payton, I'd probably play uh, Drew uh, about a quarter, maybe a couple drives, depending on how it works out. If he goes right down the field and eight or 11 plays, scores a touchdown, you're done for the night, you know. Uh, if they have, if they go would, three and out, go ahead. I was I'm gonna sorry, say, if you, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I was going to say, I if you go three and out, go ahead. I wouldn't even have uh, had the, the road crew pack his uniform. <laughs> well, he's got to get some work in. He's got to get his timing down with, with Fleener and with Michael Thomas. That's things to watch for. But, you know, you're looking at, I would play Drew about a quarter. I'd play McCown second quarter, about half of the third quarter, because you kind of know what you got with McCown, and then yeah. let Grayson play the rest of the game. And then the second preseason game, less for Drew, a little less for McCown. Uh, let Grayson play the whole second half, because the third preseason game, that's going to be Breeze all the way through the third quarter then McCown probably cleans up, and then yeah. uh, you let Grayson and McCown play, you know, the fourth preseason game. I sure. uh, I wouldn't do much more than that. Uh, the things to watch for in the preseason, especially this first game, you know, see how uh, Clemente and, uh, and Lolito do in that first quarter against the starters for New England. Uh, New England got some bad news. Looks like uh, ex-Saint uh, Rob Nikovich. Uh, may have torn his tricep, and uh, he may he yeah, he may be out for the year. I think Julian Edelman also went down, uh, so it was not a good yeah. day for the Patriots. I heard a report but, uh, late this afternoon that Edelman's doesn't look to be serious. There's oh, that's just, good. They uh they held him out for the rest of the day on a, as a yeah. precautionary measure. Yeah, uh, I don't expect Bro to play very long, so you know, got to watch for number twenty-five. P.J. Williams, see when he comes in, what he looks like. How does he hold up man-to-man? Uh, definitely don't freak out if the Patriots go right down the field and score a touchdown on the, on the defense. Don't freak out and go, oh, my God, we're right back. We started last year. Yeah. Look at what they're doing. Are they making on purpose? Are they putting P.J. Williams on an island on purpose to see how he does man-to-man? one-on-one, you know, realize what the coaches are looking at. The important thing to see in every preseason game is how does the first team look? You know, yeah. do they look sharp out there? You know, Breeze comes out there and boom, 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 marches right down the field with no problem, very little pressure. That's a great thing. That's that's important. On defense, yeah. can we get the Patriots off the, off the field on third down? That's what I'm watching for. You know, I don't care about first and second down so much as I want to see, do we get them off the field in third down? You know, do we Absolutely. get that Do we get that run defense down? Because one of the things I have read in camp is pitches to the outside or runs that break to the outside, they're still picking up big yardage again. 
on us on our defense. We're not we're not running sideline to sideline. We're keeping things inside. We're taking the inside game away. Let's watch what happens on these on these plays that bounce to the outside. What's that pursuit look like? You know, are we getting yeah. are we are we setting the edge? Are we getting that corner? Making those running backs turn back in to where the rest of the defense is, or are we letting them get outside of the numbers and go up go up the sideline? All things to watch for. All good points. Well, I'm glad you guys joined us. We hope you enjoyed the show tonight. Um, we're looking forward to next Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. and We will get through the rest of the first projected 53-man roster by Alan Ulrich, and we'll go through the <laughs> offense this time. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, hey, we'll actually have a game to review. We can talk about right. what we saw in the game, so that's the good thing. And actually say now we will do a recap with our next podcast. You can reach us at under the dome podcast at gmail.com. Uh, let us know what you think. You can also reach us on Facebook on under the dome podcast. Uh, under the dome at under the dome PO one on Twitter. You guys follow us and please do. Uh, let us send us send us questions. Send us questions. Ask us anything. Absolutely. Ask who anything that person that was that kept walking know? behind me the whole time. Yeah, ask who that person was that kept walking <laughs> behind me the whole time. So you know, ask away. Better, the more crazy the question, the more likely it's going to get a, uh, answered in this podcast. Uh, thank and you guys all. Actually, very true. <laughs> Thank you guys for as always for watching us. We appreciate your support. Uh, until next time. Thank you for joining us on Under the Pod, uh, Under the Dome podcast. Not under the pod. Under the Dome podcast. Good night, everybody. <laughs>